Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, plenty of changes in fertilizer pricing in the past six months, with some products remaining high and others declining. Josh Linville with Fertilizer StoneX in the United States says this past summer there was a lot of concern about the potential for even higher fertilizer prices considering the war between Russia and Ukraine. Linville talks about the lower prices for phosphate, potash and urea, but the same cannot be said for anhydrous or urea ammonium nitrate. And Canada's food price report predicts the average family of four will be spending an additional $1,065 on food next year, which works out to 5 to 7%. Report is an annual collaboration between four universities. University of Saskatchewan Associate Professor Stuart Smith says on-farm and processing costs are rising, but other things are adding to that bill as well. After the break, Josh Linville. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Josh Linville is with Fertilizer StoneX and uh, was a featured speaker at the Prairie Oat Growers Association convention recently held in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So, Josh, tell us what we're seeing right now with regards to fertilizer pricing. When you look at the global uh, picture, we have seen supplies improve. We've seen demand down. Uh, this thing has changed fairly substantially. Looking at the urea markets, of course, you know, back when we talked five months ago this summer, we had a situation where European production looked like it would never turn back on. You know, natural gas prices were so high priced, and you know, Chinese exports were almost non-existent. There's still questions about Russia exports. There's a lot of questions. Well, since that time. Russian exports have been solid. Chinese exports are picking up. European production has improved because their natural gas price has gone from $100 an MMBTU down to $30, $40 a ton range. The market has fundamentally shifted. Not only that, we see global demand also making uh, decisions as well. We see farmers that have been pulling back on their decisions for nitrogen because of the high price. That's helped alleviate some of the price. Phosphate and potash. This fall run does not so far look like it's been a phenomenal run. We think the farmers are making the decision. I can, I can wait another year. I can mine the soil again. Demand has been down there. So as the market always does, high prices cure high prices. Uh, supplies have been coming back. Demand has been down. Prices have been down uh, for those three, uh, phosphate, potash, and urea, have been down almost constantly since late March, early April. Have we reached the point where the price is now low enough that farmers are going to start stocking up? I don't think anybody wants to stock up just yet. Now, we've got the prepay period coming up here very shortly, you know, just the same as in Canada as it is in the U.S. By the time we get to the end of December, right after Christmas, there's going to be some money that needs to be spent because as much as we hate high-priced fertilizer, we hate taxes even more. But it's one of those situations where... It sure feels as though some of these values are actually getting low enough on fertilizer and the grain prices are holding that those ratios are actually getting rather attractive. They're not as good as what we've seen in the last five years, but they are definitely in the mix. I think that demand is going to be a little sketchier just because I think everybody's seen prices that have been falling and nobody wants to step in the front of that trend. But eventually the demand has got to come. When we look at what our 2023 grain out expectations are, you know, at least in the U.S., we're talking 93 million acres of corn, almost 50 million acres of wheat. That's a big demand period for fertilizer. Same thing in Canada, same thing around the world. There's a lot of demand coming at us. We just have to bridge this next 30 days. Now, I think the big concern is can grain prices stay at this level and handle the 
Input price increase, it's going down for some products, but not all. You've talked specifically about UAN, and why would that be? When you look at UAN and anhydrous, especially across North America, there is a limited number of producers, a limited number of manufacturers. And because of that lack of competition, those numbers are able to hold higher. It's not anything where these outfits are working together to keep the price high. It's just fewer parties means fewer opportunities for somebody to just say, I'm going to cut my price significantly and I'm going to go sell something. When you look at urea, when you look at phosphate, you know these are markets that are produced all around the world. Tons and tons of opportunity for somebody to just step up and say, you know what, I don't like the market as it is. I'm going to sell lower and get in front of it, and that makes somebody else mad, and they drop their price. Fewer competitors, fewer producers means prices get a little stickier. Now, this past summer when you were at Ag in Motion, uh, you said it's going to be hard to predict things in the future. Do you feel that that volatility has eased a bit? Urea did not see it to this extent. This has been a little bit of a shock. I thought it was going to be a while before we started to see prices where they're at today. And unfortunately, when we look at the long-term outlook, especially for nitrogen, now through 2025, this is something we talked about today in the presentation, You know, we, it takes a long time to build a new world-class facility. So we know what's going to be, be built between now and 2025. And we have a general idea of global demand between now and that same period. Global demand for nitrogen grows faster than global production does. So that means there gets to be less and less extra inventories out there. So if we have a situation where North American production goes down, European production goes down, China stops exports, Russia gets blocked from the world market, these events, while they would already be a major factor, as excess supplies get smaller and smaller and smaller, we have less that we can go call on, these events cause even more volatility and more of a knee-jerk reaction for the marketplace. You know, a lot of the same things we talked about this summer. A lot of farmers continue to come to us and ask, what can I do to alleviate some of the risks I'm seeing out there? And unfortunately, we're still working on trying to get fertilizer paper going. You've got grain options, things like that. We continue to be a proponent. If you buy inputs, sell outputs. If you sell outputs, buy inputs. That is our best mechanism to lock in that profit if the opportunity exists. Josh Linville is the director of fertilizer for Stone X in the United States. After the break, we'll hear more about Canada's food price report from University of Saskatchewan Associate Professor Stuart Smith. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Stuart Smith is an associate professor with the University of Saskatchewan, and the university is one of uh, four organizations that put together Canada's food price report. So first of all, Stuart, maybe just explain uh, how this report is put together. We use the consumer price index and and go back over 40 years with that information and then model it so that we're as confident as we possibly can be that the predictions for the coming 12 months are accurate. So that results in us coming up with a 5 to 7% increase for 2023. How does this compare to previous years? It's pretty much the same as last year. So, you know, the last couple of years have been in that four to six or five to seven range, although last year we could never have predicted that Russia was going to invade the Ukraine or that, you know, the the price of gas would go from a dollar a liter this time up to over two dollars last summer. So it resulted in in us being not as accurate as we would have liked uh, for for this year. Would you say that uh, part of the reason for the increase is just the cost of of producing these things? 
I think one of the hidden costs in a lot of this is just the shortage of labor. So I was looking at some of the transportation numbers, and and they're saying that a little earlier in the fall there was 15,000 truck driving vacancies, and they expect that to rise by more than double come spring. So the fact that you've got containers, and, and a lot of those will be food containers sitting in ports for an extra day or maybe a day and a half to get that driver, that contributes to the higher price that we end up paying. And and, and that's something that uh, I think a lot of us as consumers just really don't take into consideration. Would food waste have to be made up on the price side? I think a little bit, right? I mean, if you're transporting some of the fresh fruits and vegetables and it's taking you, you know, maybe two or three extra days to get them to market, this is what the report talks a little bit about with the shelfflation that consumers are finding that they'll buy something and it's not lasting as long as it would have previously. And so you're right, it's contributing to higher food waste because they simply have no option to consume those products. They're, They're expiring almost within a day or two of entering the home. We hear about shrinkflation. So how far can companies go to try and keep prices level but still not displease consumers by having a half-empty package? I think grocery stores are probably spending far more time than they would have ever envisioned in in sort of examining price increases. And where can they put sales on products that are going to help bring consumers into the stores? Because certainly we're seeing that consumers are far more price conscious than they have ever been in the in the food space with about a third of consumers now are using coupons or point reward programs shopping at multiple grocery stores so grocery stores are realizing just how price savvy and price conscious consumers are becoming do you think consumers are starting to think that maybe they had good prices we just didn't truly appreciate them at the time I think that's part of it. When we look sort of globally, the amount of income that Canadians spend on on groceries is is some of the lowest in the industrial countries. So, so we have been very fortunate, but it sort of looks like we're going to be playing the the catch up game rather quickly. Do you have any um, stats on uh, the percentage of a consumer's income goes towards purchasing food? You know, with the median income being, you know, in that 65 to say $70,000 range, with a household of four spending $16,000 on groceries, it's certainly getting higher than it, you know, 20 years ago, it was maybe 8 to 10%. And, and I would say now in, in a lot of households, it's it's probably getting closer to 20%. Stuart Smith is an associate professor with the University of Saskatchewan. And these are some of the top agriculture stories from the week of December 5th, 2022. Canada's role in helping reduce greenhouse gas emissions took another step forward. The final rule has created a pathway for canola oil to be used in advanced biofuels under the Renewable Fuel Standard Program in the United States. Chris Vervate with the Canadian Oil Seed Processors Association said that means Canadian farmers will have to consider increasing their canola acres over the next few years. Saskatchewan's General Farm Group appeared in Ottawa to highlight the right of farmers to repair their machinery. President Ian Boxall spoke to the Commons Committee on Industry and Technology, pointing to the need for farmers to have access to computer programs used in their equipment. This now concludes the study of the bill at the committee level. The Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan will be making a submission in the new year to the government 
to further clarify and state its support for farmers' right to repair the machinery. Well, while oil content was decent over much of Saskatchewan and Alberta, the 43 to 44 percent range, the numbers were poorer in drier regions of the prairies. Veronique Barthay is with the Canadian Grain Commission. She says, fortunately, there were no chlorophyll issues anywhere on the prairies, thanks to the extended good harvest weather in September and even into October. The head of a beekeepers association, Manitoba, said this year was an especially tough one, and he is worried about the coming winter weather. Red River Apiris Association President John Russell said a late and snowy spring killed a lot of bees and said it would be honey Armageddon if there's another like it. Bob Podolsky, the owner of Podolsky Honey Farms in Ethelbert, said he took his bees to B.C. to overwinter and hopes that more will survive by keeping them in a milder climate. The president of the Canadian Cattle Association and rancher from Beachy, Saskatchewan, passed away suddenly. Red Schellenberg was first elected as a director to CCA in 2010 and then became national president in March. Nathan Finney, who will now become CCA's new president, said Reg's legacy and impact on the cattle industry will be felt for years to come. Schellenberg is survived by his wife, Shannon, two sons, a daughter, and nine grandchildren. The National Farmers Union has elected its new president. Jen Fenning is a family owner and the director of human resources, marketing, and operations at Fenning's Organic Farm in New Hamburg, Ontario, Fenning takes over from Katie Ward, who served as president for four years. Cow-calf producers will want to put this on their podcast list. Dr. John Campbell has started a weekly program that will focus on beef, cattle, and health management. Campbell is a beef cattle specialist at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. It's called the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, and can be found on any of the major podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. Dr. Campbell is also open to program ideas from producers, so you can send those by email to john.campbell at usask.ca. The history of the Western Barley Growers Association has been documented in a new book entitled Western Barley's Legacy. WBGA past president Brian Otto said they wanted to document the past for future generations. Grain industry veteran Russ Crawford compiled and wrote the book. It covers the policy stance and events around grain marketing choice, but also transportation issues, the crow rate, safety net programs, and farmer-funded research. The coffee table-style book is available in both hard and paperback versions, and can be purchased on Amazon or ordered directly from most bookstores. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.